0: Sean Finnegan, and you are listening to Restitutio, a podcast that seeks to recover authentic Christianity and live it out today. When COVID first broke out, many endeavored to put their extra time to good use. Tom Housty, my guest today, began listening to podcasts. He was intensely curious about theology. Hostey came to question several key beliefs he had imbibed as a lifelong Anabaptist living in rural Ohio. Eventually, he saw that the Church's God and the Bible's God were at odds with each other. Hostey embraced Unitarianism and faced significant troubles because of this change. He is now launching a new ministry on YouTube called The Unitarian Anabaptist, in which he intends to share his insights about Christ's identity with others. Here now is podcast 478, Unitarian Anabaptist with Tom Husty. Tom Husty, welcome to Restitutio. So glad to be talking with you today. It's a pleasure to be here, Sean. I thought we could start by talking about the beginning. How did you grow up? Did you grow up in a Christian home and share with us a little bit of your background? Yes, so
1: my family was not Christian church-going people.
0: However, I
1: had friends, Baptist friends, that took my brother and me to church every Sunday for a period of probably five years, mm-hmm. from the time we were eight years old to about 12 years old. So that was my,
0: my early Christian background. Okay, so you had some church exposure. Uh, did you have a definitive moment where you started to really take your faith seriously?
1: Well, when I was 11 years old, sitting in the Baptist Church, the preacher had a, an altar call and I had never seen anyone answer an altar call, but I felt moved to answer that. So I stood up, went up to the pulpit, the preacher looked down at me in a rather surprised fashion and he had me ushered out by a middle-aged man who gave me a Bible afterwards. So. <laughs> that was my <laughs> interesting experience in the Baptist Church. And,
0: and so yes. all these decades later, looking back on it, yes. do you still consider that to be your, your starting point? I think so, Okay. yes. Very good. I think so.
1: I mean, I, I got... Eleven is pretty young. Eleven is pretty young. I mean, I, w- I really wanted to follow Jesus. Huh. And um, I had good, ba- good training in my Baptist Sunday school. So that mm-hmm. kind of gave me a foundation for when I started to read my Bible later.
0: Okay. So you mentioned that you were in a Baptist church, mm-hmm. but I think a lot of us know you as an Anabaptist. Yes. So how did that transition occur from so Baptist to Anabaptist? What happened, um,
1: I had moved from Detroit, Michigan area to mm-hmm. Windsor, Ontario. And I had a good Canadian English education. I went out to university and I took some philosophy courses where we were thinking in terms of what is truth. And in that process of thinking about truth, I turned back to the, the Bible that was given to me in my Baptist Sunday school and started reading the scripture. And at the time, there were friends of mine who belonged to this particular church, uh, Eastern European Anabaptist type church. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was int- that was my first contact again to church community after I started to take my Bible seriously, or when I started to take my Bible very seriously. It sounds like a fascinating philosophy class. It was the philosophy of humor.
0: <laughs> That's <laughs> yeah, amazing. Yeah, believe it or not, but,
1: <laughs> but it got, at the end of the course, it got into existentialism. Okay. So it was very interesting when I, when I first opened my Bible to the book of Matthew, and I recognized immediately, this is the truth that I had been looking for. Mm-hmm. And I saw Jesus as an existential hero,
0: mm-hmm. as
1: one who is willing to give his life for what he believed in, but also a faith that could be put forth to the rest of humanity, something that we could lay hold of.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. So you, you ended up joining this Anabaptist community? I did, yes. And why don't you, just for our, our listeners, what's the difference between a Baptist and an Anabaptist?
1: Okay, so... I went to a Baptist church, as you know. Yeah. I had a very good Sunday school teacher there.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He was an older man. He actually served in the Second World War on an aircraft carrier, and he was a gunner on an aircraft carrier. Okay. So he was shooting Japanese planes out of the sky over the Pacific Ocean. And he mentioned this to, to us children um, in a way that really showed they had a great deal of sorrow that he was taking the life of other human beings. Oh, enemy. really? Yes. Hmm. Something I think it really, he was a very good man, but I think it, it hurt his conscience. So the Anabaptist church that I attended, um, Eastern European Anabaptist, um, was known for being conscientious objectors. Okay. So many, many of the young men were drafted into the armies of Europe during the First and Second World Wars and they refused to swear an oath or take arms to kill others. And as a consequence, some of the young men were actually, in the First World War, some of them were actually put before a firing squad. Oh, wow. Yes. They had to dig their own graves and uh, they had to stand in front of the grave and they were shot dead. Others spent time in prison, some were beaten and tortured, so um, they Mm -hmm. took that. They took the commandment of not taking another person's life very seriously. So that, that's one kind of earmark of an Anabaptist. Mm-hmm. They read their Bible literally. Yeah. <laughs> yes.
0: Yeah. Let me see if you would agree with this statement. A Baptist is a little more focused on salvation. And an Anabaptist is a little more focused on living in obedience to the teachings of Jesus. Yes, that's not that David. Anabaptists don't care about salvation or Baptists don't yes. care about Jesus' teachings, but like the emphasis is, is a little more. Yes. Like okay. how, do, how do we live this out? And yes. Anabaptists are also a little more community focused, I would say.
1: A little mm-hmm. tighter yes. knit. Well, for sure. Yeah. Yes. yeah. yes. So the community that I belonged to was a community that had fellowship just among their own churches, although the churches were spread out throughout the world. So we had churches in the United States, in Canada, in Europe, in Australia. Okay. It originated in Eastern Europe, but it kind of, well, as the persecution uh, in Eastern Europe was unrelenting, people from the church were moving out to where they would have more freedom. So mm-hmm. that's how my wife's family actually came to the United States. They, they left Yugoslavia, former Yugoslavia, and immigrated to the United States because of the religious mm. difficulties they were facing.
0: Yeah. And so you got married and you had seven children. Seven children, yes. Raised them all in the church. Yes. And then fairly recently, just a couple of years ago, during COVID, you took an opportunity to begin researching some topics. Why don't you tell us about that a little bit?
1: Yes. So the context is that our church was shut down for several months and I had visited another Anabaptist type church like a former Amish revival kind of community that was a little bit more open-minded. Mm-hmm. And they recommended that I listen to the Bible Project. <laughs> yes, so that's something that they, they kind of had a re- as a reference point. So I was listening to this Bible Project lessons, and I was very, very interested uh, to be kind of provoked to look at things in a, a little bit different light from a very scholarly Perspective. From a Jewish perspective. From a Jewish perspective, yeah. yes, yes. The topic of the image of God came up. So Adam, as created in the image of God, mm-hmm. um, who actually took the fall, was the first prototype human being. And the discussion centers around Jesus in that setting as the second Adam, who actually returns humankind back to God through his obedience. So that's kind of the, the conversation that started me tracking in that direction,
0: mm-hmm. yes. Had you thought much about the image of God before this? I
1: had read the scriptures concerning that, and it seemed to stand out to me, but I never went really beyond
0: mm-hmm.
1: the initial kind of aura that it produced. <laughs> yeah. you know? yeah. I, I mentioned earlier that I saw Jesus as an existential hero. Mm-hmm. So I guess my first and earliest impressions of Jesus was that he, well, was that he is a human being and that he is actually demonstrating something to us and, and he's being sacrificed for his faith. So I think initially, I was tracking in this, in this way, mm-hmm. but coming into an established church with certain, which your case, statements of faith and so forth, kind of put a damper on maybe further and deeper investigation, mm-hmm. initially, yes. Okay. I got settled into the church, had a family, and had other things to attend to, raising mm-hmm. seven children. Yeah, that yes. takes a lot of work, I'm sure. indeed, yes.
0: I'm just raising four and it feels like a full-time job. <laughs> I believe that, yes. <laughs> But uh, what was next for you? in your research phase after the Bible Project started getting you questioning some things?
1: Because a Bible Project is not really committed to a a very specific kind of track of thinking. They introduced the, the idea of Jesus as the image bearer, but they still had conversations about other Christian traditions that are being brought into the conversation. So they're not really committing themselves to any one pathway forward. Okay. So when they started to introduce other things or other elements into this, like Mm. quoting the Westminster's Creed or Mm. Westminster's-
0: Westminster Confession. Confession
1: and so forth, it really made me start to question, okay, so you're proposing this, but you're trying to include in other things that are not really supporting what you're saying. Mm -hmm. So I sought out things that would actually follow the track mm-hmm. that they began so i came across some other scholars some of them were interviewed on the bible project okay but they were picked up elsewhere and i think that's how i got to dale tuggy's podcast okay i got a hold of dale tuggy's trinity's podcast and that kind of led opened the way to your rest podcast mm-hmm. the unitarian christian alliance podcast so i started to get feeds from other sources that were kind of filling in or supporting, supplementing the theme that I had started with in the Bible Project.
0: How were you spending so much time listening to podcasts? Were you commuting to work? or what okay, so, the-
1: so I have the privilege of working at a machine shop, and I've had the job for 33 years. A lot of the work I do, not all of it, but a lot of it is repetitive work okay so I know the routine I program set up and operate typically a CNC milling machine with a tool changer on it and because I'm I'm used to the routine I can have my headphones on Mm. keeps the noise out from the machine and then I have it plugged into my iPhone okay so there there are times when I can listen to podcasts for hours a day. <laughs> okay. Sometimes six hours a day. So, so you turned your yes.
0: uh, your workplace into a classroom. It's an
1: education center. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. And I want to say too that I just did I, I wasn't focusing only on say Christian theological subjects. Mm-hmm. I happened to listen to the entire history of Rome.
0: Oh Mike Duncan. Yes. He's so good. Yes. <laughs> oh yeah. So I listened. That's a long podcast. It is a
1: long podcast yeah. but it gave me context. To where the Bible, you know, to
0: understand the world of the New Testament. Yes, yes, absolutely. And also yeah, it's li- very good. For I them. also
1: listened to the history of the early church. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that was done by a Catholic theological student. Okay. But he's pretty unbiased. So sometimes
0: the Catholics are really yeah, good uh, yeah. at at telling the truth. He, he's telling the truth
1: yeah. about his own.
0: And sometimes own they're son. really biased, you know. Yeah. So it's just.
1: I started to see things not only from the perspective of the biblical narrative but also how things were developed according to the historical narrative right so the two seemed to mesh very nicely it was a it was an affirmation to the truths that were being shown to me
0: it's like a, a renaissance of the mind you yes. were going through yes it's really something yes, yes. and and how old were you when this was well i'm 69
1: i just turned 60 so like 58
0: 57
1: 57 yes
0: That's incredible. There are very few 57, 58-year-olds that are saying to themselves, you know what, Uh, let me just learn the whole history of the entire Roman Empire from the founding of the mythological (laughs) founding all the way up till the fall, and uh, learn all this early Christian history, and then you have these theology podcasts and the Bible Project. I mean, this is really an unusual but awesome, exciting adventure you embarked upon. Yes, it
1: is, and it actually... Really, kind of enlighten my mind. I mean, it's interesting to go through something like that just to experience how the mind can actually be developed and blossom. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not sure I can remember everything, but the yeah. context is, is well, there.
0: Knowing where to find things is sometimes even better. Yes. Uh, because then you can go back and get more detail. Mm-hmm. So, uh, as you were going through, tell us about the next stage of your development as far as who Jesus is? Okay,
1: so the identity of Jesus was very
0: important to me.
1: When I looked at the doctrine of the Trinity, Jesus is amalgamated into the identity of God. Right. So the identity of Jesus as the human being who is bringing God's message to us who is announcing the reign and rule of God entering into or breaking into this world that we can partake of is really what my initial thoughts were. His image bearing starts as the proclaimer of the good news of the gospel. That's where it begins. Mm -hmm. And eventually it takes him to the cross where he is demonstrating his obedience to his God by willing to demonstrate that he's, he's willing to die for the gospel message that he has brought. So he demonstrates faithfulness to God mm-hmm. and God is demonstrating his faithfulness to him by returning life back to him after his crucifixion.
0: Now that yes. explanation you just gave there, is that something that you had always held or is that more something that came about or clarified as a result of your research.
1: So, because
0: um, that didn't that sound is, controversial to me.
1: Yeah. So <laughs> this is this is difficult for me to answer because I'm not quite sure I thought through all the details before.
0: I mean, surely you sang the songs "Jesus Died for My Sins" oh, yes. and you believed in resurrection. Yes. Uh, you believed he preached the gospel.
1: Okay. So let's talk about the resurrection for a moment. Yeah. The resurrection is something that was part of our church conversation something that is mentioned. But the resurrection, I think, is probably not understood as a literal resurrection in a renewed earth setting where heaven comes down to earth. Oh, it's
0: more of going to heaven? More of going to heaven.
1: But that's difficult also to say because I think that's sometimes left up to the interpretation of the listener. So I don't wanna qualify to say everyone in my church thinks it's just going to heaven. I know, in fact, some people have told me that they believe in a literal resurrection. The problem with believing in literal resurrection is that the question of the identity of Jesus enters the picture about resurrection. Right, okay? talk, talk
0: more about that.
1: Okay, so in my own mind, the confusion of whether Jesus is God is overshadowing the reality of resurrection because it's difficult to explain how Jesus can be raised from the dead if he is, in fact, God. How can God die? And if it were possible for God to die, then you would actually expect him to resurrect from the dead,
0: I think. It wouldn't be special. It wouldn't be special. You're like, well, yeah, of course.
1: Yes, of course, he's God, (laughs) right? So I think that's where the difficulty lies. When I recognize the full humanity of Jesus, that he's not just god in a human shell but that he is the son of god the human son of god who is capable of laying down his entire life so that god could entirely return to him life and life in such a way that he is given an incorruptible body then my thinking became more solid in in this respect Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah so the resurrection then takes on a more potent meaning. Yeah,
0: it's more significant. It's more significant, yes. Because we know that when humans die, we don't rise from the dead. Right. Right. Anyone who's been to a funeral who's lost a loved one knows that. And they knew that just as well in the ancient world, of course. So for this one person to experience not just resuscitation and healing, but to really enter into the uh, age-to-come Experience yes. of a resurrected body never to die again—that is huge. Theologically, Absolutely. that's that's Absolutely. big. Yes, uh, but if he's God, it's cheapened. Yes, it is. Because if he's God, then of course you can't really kill God. So that either the death is a sham, or the resurrection is a sham. If the death is a sham, in the sense that his human body—his, you know, the movie Avatar. Have you ever it. heard of Avatar? I've heard of it. So it's, yes. it's just, let me explain, because I just, I just saw it the other day. It, 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 they took 10 years, but they came out with a part two. Okay. <laughs> but it's where uh, you have a body that's piloted by someone in oh. a distance. Okay. But you're actually interacting through the senses of that body. Okay. Okay. So it's, it's not, it's not a robot. It's an actual body of this alien. Uh-huh. And this guy's in a spaceship or he's on land in a little compartment and he's, he's really just lying in a bed with something scanning his brain to connect him to this other body. So if you kill the avatar, the guy operating him is still safe in the lab. You see what I'm saying? Yes, yes, yes. So using that analogy, which might be helpful, the crucifixion of Christ, if he's really God, is just the crucifixion of an avatar. It's not the, you know, the real yes. God, you can't kill God. Well,
1: so that's the point. <laughs> right? I actually had a conversation with a young man on Sunday about this very subject. And he was posing that Jesus was both fully God and fully man. Okay. So I asked him, I said, well, can you tell me what part of Jesus is fully man and what part is fully God? And specifically concerning the death of Jesus, what happened to the fully God part? Yeah. And he told me the fully God part did not die.
0: Right. Yes. So it's just the death of human nature. It's not the death.
1: However, you want to explain it.
0: But it's not the death yes. of the God part. Right. So, what I'm saying then is that makes the crucifixion a sham because you don't have, you don't even have a whole human being dying for your sins. It's just, you know, less than a human being. It's yes. just the shell or the human nature. Right. That's no good. But if you have a full death mm-hmm. of God. Yes. How are you going to get resurrection if God's dead? Well, that's what
1: I asked. <laughs> I don't know. And and in fact, I, I take it maybe one step further. So the, the argument is made that Jesus is God incarnate. Okay. So I ask the question: Well, what happens at the resurrection? Is that God reincarnated? And people don't like to think of that in that sense. But if God died, if if, if Jesus was God incarnate, and God died, then a resurrection of God would be a reincarnation of God. Yes. And that's really hard to get your, your mind wrapped
0: yeah. around. Yeah. Yeah. What do people say when you ask that question? Uh, they don't, I don't think
1: they're not prepared for that
0: they, they say, well, yes. let me think about that. Yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you started moving away from a more traditional uh, Jesus is God approach mm-hmm. to the identity of Christ. Yes. And more towards a second Adam, Jesus is a perfect human being approach. Yes. Tell us a little bit more about how that realization came about in your thinking?
1: Initially, I was expressing my thoughts to those that were closest to me. Okay. So, and I didn't hide them from the the highest authorities of the church. I took my thoughts to my elder and to some of the ministers, so I wanted to share with the authorities what I was working through. The initial rebuttal that I got from them was that I was incorrect, I was not thinking as I should, so I took those doubts seriously. And I thought to myself, well, what is the best way to prove out if, in fact, my thinking is correct? Mm -hmm. So this I did on my own. You know, I was listening to this information coming in and processing it, but then I decided to do a thorough study of the Acts of the Apostles. So I I took a Sunday off from church, I spent the entire day reading the entire Acts of the Apostles and listing out every sermon every gospel sermon that was preached. And I came up with eight sermons, some from Peter and some from Paul. And I specifically looked to see how the identity of Jesus was portrayed relative to the identity of his his God. So what is the interaction between the two? Mm -hmm. I figured that the gospel message that is being preached in the Acts of the Apostles would have been a message that the hearers would have been encouraged to believe in its entirety as a complete, you may say, package of what the gospel message was. Okay. Now, I know there were a lot more words that were said, but I figured that the, the writer of Acts would have given us well, certainly enough, the summary. a summary of what was preached and that if the identity of Jesus as God incarnate were a reality than it should portray itself in some or all of the sermons.
0: It would be strange if it was kept a secret. Yes, it would in be strange. Every yes. gospel proclamation throughout the entire book of 28 chapters of the book of Acts. Yes,
1: it never appears. It never appears. Did that
0: blow your mind? It did.
1: It was shocking. <laughs> and I figured that now I had the proof to make my case. Actually, I proceeded from there to write an email in which I made the question whether or not the Unitarian perspective was correct based on the following scriptures. And I listed those scriptures that pertain to those eight sermons. I didn't give my opinion at that point. Mm-hmm. I just put it out there so that it could be examined, and, hope, and I was hoping to get a response to those scriptures. Mm-hmm. Yes.
0: And just to clarify, Unitarian, as you were using it at that time, yes. just means that only the Father is God, Jesus is not God, the Holy Spirit is not That's correct. an independent person That's correct, or a yes. distinct person. Yes, yes. What did they say to you in response to that?
1: So that email did not get much of a response. Okay.
0: Yes. They probably just thought, oh boy, here we go. Tom well, has really lost it here. I, I, I can't answer that
1: question. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Sorry, I, um, I approached
0: from a pastoral yes. point of yeah, view. Yeah, maybe, maybe they <laughs> did. You get all kinds I, of emails. yeah, yeah,
1: yeah perhaps. <laughs> I mean, it could, Tom. You know, it, could, it, really it could be that they just, as most oftentimes happens, I think people just ignore things like that. But okay. I did get a, a couple of responses, but typically they were not from people that were, or men that were in a place that were in authority. So, right.
0: yes. Okay. And at what point did you go and speak to the, to the Amish families? Was that after this? I have these Amish
1: families that I, I buy my vegetables from. Okay.
0: Okay. Yeah. So
1: I have a very good relationship with these people. Mm-hmm. I know their families. We've been seeing each other for a long time. I've talked to them about matters of faith for a long time. We're both Anabaptists. We both come from kind of right. that, that same Except region. you believe in mustaches. Well, that's true. I'm just joking. Yeah. Sorry, <laughs> good Amish joke, but uh, so, fell flat. I have a beard too, but anyway. <laughs> so what happened when I, was coming to these realizations. I was pretty happy and pretty joyful about these, these revelations. It was exciting. I wanted to share them with others. And, and I was speaking to people outside of church community too. So I had, had opportunity to speak to people that were not Christians and share the message. It was kind of, a, I, was, I felt empowered to be able to speak the gospel now that I had a better foundation. Mm-hmm. So I was sharing with some of my Amish friends some of the things that I had been learning and uh, quite surprisingly these very primitive kind of Amish people agreed with me. I didn't get the same ignoring response that I got from my closest friends and family. So what happened down the road, as you know, um, I had opportunity to preach a sermon in Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. Uh, You attended with me. Yeah. And as a practice run, I made a presentation to an Amish. Well, several families of one family got together mm-hmm. in order to hear that message. Okay. Yes.
0: When you were able to speak to them, mm-hmm. they received it well, or they, I think they had did. some reservations uh, about it. I
1: didn't. I didn't see any reservations. Okay. The gentleman that was the oldest there mentioned that. This is the most powerful message that they ever heard. Wow. Now, that's. Now. <laughs> it's quite a it, statement. In, in, in retrospect, I mean, that may have just been a compliment.
0: They might have just been <laughs> yeah, yeah. friendly. So, and...
1: Might, so, but it was probably. They'll say that was, to every guy yeah, who yeah, comes but, along. But, no, but that was the it, most powerful. Yeah, yeah. No, that was but the most powerful. It may have been. It was probably the most powerful message they ever heard in English
0: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> because all their sermons are done in German. Okay. <laughs> so, you yeah. know, maybe. <laughs> it was the best English sermon they ever heard, perhaps, <laughs> and maybe the only one.
0: Yeah. Okay, yes. so then we uh, went to visit this this African church. Yes. And they invited you to speak. Yes. And uh, share a little bit about that. So that was based, the invitation
1: came from a minister from that church that I had met a couple years earlier, and he had listened to the podcast that I did on Mark's UCA mm-hmm. channel. Yeah. So I got the invitation on the basis of this. He wanted me to come to speak about the topic of the image of God. That's the framework for that.
0: Mm -hmm. And how do you
1: think it went? Well, I think it went better than I could have imagined, really, because I never never had opportunity to do such a thing.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, As you know, there was quite a full church there. Yeah, there was. Um, Yes, and that was just based on the circumstances. Mm -hmm. The church was probably two and a half times more full than it would have been otherwise because of this memorial service they had.
0: Mm -hmm. So, um, Mm -hmm. and who knows, maybe some of the people that were there will consider this understanding. And then you came home, there was more strife with the leadership. Yes. Do you think that's because you had spoken at this Amish uh, community and then had spoken at this African church, Um, or do you think it was just a ball that was already rolling down a hill and was gonna get eventually to the bottom anyhow?
1: I think the latter. Okay. I think the latter.
0: So tell us about how that went down, because presumably you're looking with having all these children and your wife in this church to to stay. Yes. What happened next as far as your your efforts there? The
1: the elder of my church, we have one church elder, he contacted me by various means. He wanted me either to come back to my former state of mind Mm -hmm. and accept the church, what what he perceives as the church's understanding. So it Which is, a, is
0: to believe in the Trinity?
1: Yes, to believe in the Trinity and specifically that Jesus is God. Okay. Yes, so this is included in the, the den- denomination statement of faith. Um, and you
0: said what when he said, well, you need to believe this.
1: So what I mentioned to him was that when I was baptized into the church 40 years ago, The Statement of Faith was brand new, and I was told by my elder at the time that I shouldn't pay much heed to this. (laughs) Yes. So, yes. So, uh, and inherent in the Statement of Faith itself are some contradictory claims. So the oneness of God is the first thing that's mentioned, and then the Trinity is mentioned later. So it could be argued that these two are in conflict with one another. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't posing that 40 years ago, things were perfect, but, I wasn't required to buy into this as I am now required to buy into this. The particular elder that I had back in that day has died since then. And uh, I was told that we're not gonna talk about dead men. So I couldn't reference someone from before because he's no longer living. Some things, the church, you know, all churches change over time. Yeah. And the particular church that I've attended, this particular church, has incorporated a lot of John MacArthur uh, type teachings okay. lately. So, so I think- So they've gone
0: more evangelical. Evangelical and maybe- Historically, I, they were more Anabaptist. I think so, yes, yeah. yes. Because Anabaptists typically don't focus on doctrinal matters very much. Yes. Not that they don't have any doctrinal convictions, but they wouldn't break fellowship over it typically. This is new terrain for me, so. Yeah. Yes. Well, uh, so you got kicked out. Uh, yes, I did. Mm-hmm. And what does that mean in your case to be kicked out? It means you just went a block down the road to the next church? Or uh, what, what are the implications of this for your life? Well,
1: I'm not quite sure that I am aware of any precedent like my own. I was told that I, if I didn't think the way that our ministers thought mm-hmm. that I should leave the church... And when I refused to leave, then expulsion was the next step. So typically expulsion in, in my church happens for people that do gross sins. Right. Yes. So, and, th- and those people are shunned as well. Yes, yes. So are you shunned? I am um, not quite sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I guess so, you'll find so, out when you try so, to talk yeah. to somebody so, and they so, walk the uh, other way. <laughs> so, I'm, so, like I say, this is, this is kind of new terrain. Like I said, I don't quite know of any other example like my own. Right.
0: Because you're not in sin. You're still living yes. a Christian lifestyle. Right, right. You're, you have question question the Bible itself.
1: Yes, and, and I'm open to discuss. <laughs> so, it wasn't, it wasn't me who decided to end the conversation. Mm. I was asked questions that I answered and I was expected to answer, but when I posed questions to the opposing side, they refused to answer questions. So apparently the, the debate was resolved by my expulsion. <laughs> right. So it doesn't really solve the, the issue at hand, unfortunately.
0: How does that make you feel? Um,
1: well, I'm a little bit sad that the conversation couldn't uh, be continued and resolved to a more amiable place. And um, I guess it does cause me some concern too, given the fact that those that remain in my church, former church community, whom I love dearly, are probably not able to express their thoughts in this kind of an environment, you know, or many thoughts they are not. They will, I, I'm afraid that there'll be kind of this fear that permeates.
0: Yeah, if we bring up a theological topic, we yes. could get kicked out just right. Like right. Because, yeah,
1: yeah I'm, I'm a 60-year-old man. I don't think that I'm a threat. They thought so, but, uh, and, and really, when I examine the whole thing, I, tr- I try to get things in the proper perspective. Like, I do kind of understand their position. Right. It takes a lot of work. To work through these issues. It's much easier just to settle on something that you can buy into without the need to thoroughly understand it. Mm -hmm. And obviously, when you start to question those things, there's a lot of rearranging that has to happen. So I understand the difficulty.
0: Would you say that you would be willing to go back to believing in the Trinity if you saw good evidence for it? Oh, absolutely but they're not willing to stop believing in it even if you or someone else provided them with good evidence.
1: That's the way it seems, yes.
0: Yeah, that doesn't seem fair.
1: It seems like there's an
0: injustice here in the whole situation, but I don't know if anything can be done. It seems like most churches have this mindset of, this is our tradition, this is what we've received, Mm -hmm. and this is who we are as a result. And they don't think of themselves as truth seekers. They don't think of themselves communally as trying to restore authentic Christianity, trying to get at a better mm-hmm. understanding over time that they will grow closer to all truth, which is, of course, God's truth. Yes. It's more just like, this is our uh, identity as based on our unique history, and we're not willing to, to question it. Um that maybe not, this, i'm not just talking yes. about your church in particular i'm talking no, about no, churches I, this in this is not this <laughs> is not a unique situation in general yeah this yeah. is not
1: a unique situation i will say that when i did come to church at 19 years of age i was under the impression that this is a biblically based truth seeking church and obviously they've they've taken the, the members of the church have suffered persecution for the sake of the truth right so that's something i still hold as something very impressive,
0: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> all right. People that take their faith seriously in, enough to give their life or to spend ten or twelve years, up to ten or twelve years in prison, it requires a serious faith. Right. Yes.
0: Right. You, it's interesting. Those same examples that so impress themselves upon you, you know, the story you told about the guy who has to dig his own grave mm-hmm. and then be shot right in front of it to <laughs> yes. drop into it. Yes. I mean, just like gut-wrenching story of Conviction. Yes. Uh, I mean, this is somebody that literally went to the nth degree to, to their death because of his beliefs. Yes. And, and even if somebody disagrees with that conviction, you have to recognize it's he safe. had that conviction yes. and, and he yes, wasn't yes. shake. You know, and it seems like you've uh, taken on that in, in this sense that not that you wouldn't change your mind if you were presented with good evidence, but as it stands, you have a conviction. And you're willing to be separated from a church and from a, a network of churches, really. And this is a, a whole community of people that you love dearly yes. and that your kids are yes. connected with. That's right. Uh, so this is, in your heart, this isn't something where you're going off half-cocked or you're just like no. exploring. This no. is something that is so important to you that you're willing to be shot in a sense, uh, socially speaking. Yeah, the gospel message
1: is very important. Yeah. In our church community, theological differences maybe are not as important within a church setting as they would be when you have to take this message out into the world. Okay. So I think that's where I really feel the conviction that I have to have a message that can make sense to people that are not inside a church community.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's what we are commissioned to do.
0: Yeah.
1: So this, this part of our faith that allows us to be willing to, that allows us to suffer for our Christian faith, as many of my church brethren have done, needs to come into a setting too where we can suffer for the sake of bringing the gospel message into the world because this is actually what Jesus commissions us to do. The gospel of the kingdom is meant to overwhelm and conquer this world. Mm-hmm. Jesus is king. He's taking the place of Caesar That's right. in the old Roman world, mm-hmm. and he has to have that kind of domination to be the one and on- only Lord in this world. So you know, it's not a light thing to say that Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Messiah. He is the anointed one of God, whom God has given authority to, to reign over humanity. And he is resurrected, ascended into heaven, and is glorified by God in that seat of authority. He's the one that God has invested all his power into as that representative. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the question of whether or not Jesus is God is probably not as important as where Jesus is at present time and what authority has been given to him. And this authority is meant to be communicated to the entire world. Yeah, so that's very important to me.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, Would you say that you're looking to persuade others of the truths that you've discovered? Absolutely. How are you planning to do that? By finding
1: alternative avenues like this. (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> and by your gracious uh, permission to, you know, to expose this message. So yeah. I'm still excited about it. Yeah. And I still believe that my own church people can be affected. I mean, I think these are questions that they should have to wrestle through too. Yeah. If they come to the conclusion that there's a trinity at the end of it, so be it. Yeah. But I think that they, they really need to invest the time and effort to come to their own conclusions and not just go by some statement of faith.
0: Yeah. So... What I hear you saying is that on the one hand, whether or not Jesus is God is not the most essential no. understanding or belief that there is. What matters a great deal more is that he's Lord. Yes. And that's very biblical. Yes, it Romans is. Romans ten nine, you you confess yes. Jesus is Lord. Acts 2, God has made him Lord and Christ. Mm-hmm verse thirty three and and there's so many other texts along with that psalm one ten one the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until your enemies yes. are made a footstool for your feet, Amen. alluded to twenty three times in the New Testament more than any other Old Testament text, right <laughs> so yes. that Jesus' is Lord is at the heart of the gospel message is really important, yet this other matter of what, whether or not he's God is in your mind, in your thinking, important enough that you were willing to get kicked out of the church? Because you could have just kept your head down, kept your mouth shut during the, uh, the Trinity song when they sang it, and gone with the flow. At any point, you could have just capitulated and be like, you know what, maybe I was wrong. I'm not going to raise this issue anymore.
1: Here's where the problem lies. So what happens if you just sit through church quietly and silently? Yeah. A lot of people do that. And then you go out and you start speaking the message contrary to what's being done at church. What happens at that point? Mm, That would be awkward.
0: (laughs) So long as you don't take the Great Commission seriously, you're okay. But so long as you really obey Jesus and make disciples of all nations and baptize and teach what I have said, then you're going to bring these people into this church, this teaching Something different than what you're teaching, right? Yeah, that There's is a contradiction here. Yes. So, no, I, I, I hear you. Yes. I hear you. That makes a lot of sense. So let me ask you this: You have this YouTube channel yes. that you're you're starting, the Unitarian-Anabaptist YouTube channel. What kinds of content are you going to put on there?
1: Well, initially, I would like to focus on the identity of Jesus. Okay. But as we discussed. Once the identity of Jesus is understood, there are a whole host of things that are associated to this. Mm -hmm. So that is one nice thing, and I I should maybe put in a plug for Restitutio, that uh, (laughs) when I started on the track of my one God faith, Restitutio gave me a very broad spectrum of other doctrines, teachings, that are associate with this one God faith. Mm -hmm. So I'm gonna say thank the Lord and you for the effort that you put to put forth such content and for the, the courage that you showed
0: in, uh, yes, in doing so. so. Well, thank you for that, Thomas. Uh-huh. Very kind. Um, back to your YouTube channel, okay. uh, Unitarian <laughs> Anabaptist. Would you say that people who are, say, from your own church or mm-hmm. from an Anabaptist background that aren't familiar with the identity of Christ from a non-Trinitarian perspective, you would give them your reasons for why you came to these conclusions yes. in, in different videos that you put That's out. That's my goal, with yeah. God's help, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't think we really have time to get into it today, okay? because uh, we're just overviewing your life story sure. and what's happened of late. But if somebody does say to themselves, wow, this, this Tom fella seems really convicted of this truth, what are his reasons? They could go to your channel and find your reasons and... Have them laid out in a way that is, you know, that's my goal. Easy to understand. That's my goal. Hopefully, yes. yes. Uh-huh. All right. Very good. Well, anything else we should mention today? Well,
1: I thank God for the community and for the brotherhood that we have outside. So, I must say that the support that I have with brethren that are spread out mm. is very significant. Yeah. So, thank the Lord well, thank- for thankfully his provision. You're not alone. Yes. None that's of us right. Are
0: alone. That's right. But you have been through a lot. This is a traumatic yeah, I d- experience. I don't wanna make, I don't wanna make light of
1: it, yeah. but at the same time, it has freed me to some extent. Now talk about well. that. What do you mean it freed you? Not having to answer to these statements of faith, not having to be under the pressure of conforming, gives me the ability now to concentrate on the message. Yes. Does that make sense? So you can speak your mind. Yes, yeah. yeah. I don't have to be afraid anymore. I mean, I was thrown out. It wasn't done on my own. <laughs> and so now, um, now I have the capacity to make my statements and arguments known. Yeah. And in all this I see the goodness of God prevails. God's goodness is very present and Jesus is the one that demonstrates that goodness. He is a reflection of God's goodness to us. Right. I'm yeah. very thankful for that for God's provision.
0: Well, thanks so much for talking with me today. Shall we shake hands? Sure.
1: Okay. God bless you, my brother.
0: <laughs> okay. Amen.
1: Okay. Amen. Yes.
0: Well, that brings this episode to a close. What'd you think? Come on over to restitudio.org and find episode 478, Unitarian Anabaptist, and leave your feedback there. We'd love to hear what you have to say. Last time, I interviewed Stephen Nemish, an interview that has been getting a good amount of attention. In that interview, he said the following, which I'd like to read out to you. I posted the text of this on Rasitudio.org as well, but uh, I just wanted to read it out here because I thought it was really so exceptional. These are the words of Nemish from our interview. He says, Edmund Husserl, in his early works, emphasized that the only principle of inquiry is to talk about a thing as that thing demands. That's the one method for any scientific inquiry whatsoever. If I'm going to do biology and I want to talk about living things, then I have to confront living things in experience and I have to talk about them in the way those things themselves demand. I can't come with my prior conceptions and try to impose a template on my experience to just conform everything to my theories. I have to allow my theories to be guided by the way things are themselves and the way they show themselves to me in experience. Uh, if I could just interrupt here. So Nemishir is describing the enterprise of phenomenology. It's a particular branch of philosophy where one takes what appears to be the case as though it really is the case and privileges knowledge gained from experience, maybe even exclusively, over any other kind of knowledge. He continues, we can say that the only canon, the only standard in biology is living things themselves. That's the standard for our inquiries. The only standard in astronomy are the stars themselves. We have to talk about the stars the way they are and not as the way we think they should be. So also if we're talking about the interpretation of the New Testament, the New Testament itself is the standard for what we say about it. So we have to talk about the New Testament the way that the New Testament demands that we talk about it rather than the way that a certain tradition suggests that we should talk about it. Because the New Testament is what it is, And when I talk about it, I want to be truthful, and that means talking about it as it is, not talking about it as other people say I should talk about it or whatever. He continues, it's true that we have to have some tradition or other in order to read Scripture, but our goal is to have that tradition, which makes it possible for us to understand what Scripture is saying. The only way to do that is to have all these traditions that exist out there in the world right now that are claiming continuity with Scripture to prove themselves. You say you have scriptural teaching? Okay. Provide an interpretation of the New Testament which seems so natural that it could have come from Paul or Peter or John themselves. Try to come up with the way of interpreting the Scripture that seems so natural that it would come from the author himself. This is how you prove yourself. From the mere fact that you need a tradition to read Scripture, it doesn't follow that I need your tradition. I want what the Scriptures actually say and your tradition has to prove itself in comparison with others by providing an interpretation of Scripture that seems natural. If you can't do that, then everything else you say in your favor is irrelevant. Because what we are talking about here in doing theology is interpreting Scripture. I really appreciated this comment that Nemesh made, uh, because it just so well coheres with the enterprise of restorationism. Uh, This is really the approach that we at this podcast and this ministry are approaching things from. We're looking at it as restorationists, and many others as well. And of course, Dr. Nemesh is really starting from a totally different perspective as a phenomenologist, but he's making the point which I think should be standard for Christians, regardless of your epistemological convictions, that the New Testament itself should be our standard, really the whole Bible, should be our standard for theology. When we build a theology that is never expressed in the Scripture itself, we run a huge risk of innovation, and in this case, innovation is not a good thing. We are—we don't want to come up with a new doctrine. What we want to do is discover how they thought about God, about how to live as a Christian, about what happens in the end, or whatever doctrine we want to think about. Nemesh asks the question, what the Bible says. Nemesh asks the question, is your theology natural to the Bible itself? And if not, then it's just it's just your opinion. It's just anachronistic. It's, it's speculation. But what he what he wants instead is for us to have the Bible critique doctrinal traditions. That's the idea of Bereans in Acts 17-11. They critiqued the new message that Paul brought to them about this Messiah that had come against Scripture to see if it was true. And so I encourage you do this with not just the subject of the Trinity, but All these other subjects that come up from time to time. Uh, For example, in this interview today, I talked to Tom Husty about his own perspective on Unitarianism and Anabaptism, and I know a lot of you out there are Anabaptists or have Anabaptist leanings. I encourage you to to look into that subject as well. Uh, If you're curious about the Anabaptists, who they were, I have a class on Restitutio called the 500, and it looks at the last 500 years of Church history And after, I think, my first lecture, my second one, is telling the story of the first Anabaptists, Conrad Grebel, George Blaurock, Felix Mons, in Switzerland, and I I talk a a good deal about them, uh, trying to offer a bit of a corrective to Reformation courses that only focus on Luther and Calvin and Zwingli, and instead bring in these other really heroes of the faith that did a lot to bring to bring to pass the modern world of religious tolerance in the United States and plenty of other countries as well. So I encourage you to look into that. Speaking of which, when it comes to classes, what I do on this main podcast, which if you're listening to it, you're listening to the main podcast, is I have classes, I have sermons, I have interviews, I have different kinds of content. I do also have a second podcast called Restitutio Classes that just has the classes. So if you're looking to binge a class, that's probably the best way to do it. Just subscribe to that one and find the class that you're interested in. I also have a new classes tab on restitutio.org, which you can take a look at, which will show you all the different classes that we've had over the years and be able to get you quickly to whichever episode you're looking to start from on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Lastly, I just wanted to uh, mention that I do have material for the next two weeks. Uh, we've got a the last class episode by uh, by Will Barlow, who is going to finish up his Scripture and Science class. And then I have another interview after that, already recorded, that I'd like to put out. And then, starting in February, I'm going to be running my Church History early. Christian history class, uh, probably about 22 episodes, Lord willing, and my goal with that class is to do a very broad overview, so some of you are going to be really delighted on certain episodes, and in other episodes, you're going to say, who cares about this subject (laughs) or this particular person? It's hard for me to know what you, as a listener, are specifically interested in. If you've been listening to this podcast for any length of time, you know that I'm a fairly omnivorous fella. So I have a lot of different interests, and I have a lot of different curiosities, and there are certain events that you just have to do business with in order to understand what the second century was all about, or the third century, or the fourth century, and so on. So hopefully this will be a great tour of early Christian thought and actions and relations with the government and theological developments, and persecution, both received and given at different times. And uh, it will be helpful to you in your own studies. I think probably the biggest benefit to those of you who are really researchers is I'm going to be putting you in touch with the various books, names of books, and places in books where certain subjects are, are mentioned, and putting you in touch with the various resources that are available, many of which are free, if you don't mind, a translation from the, from the 1800s, online. And then you can do your own research. So I I think really what I'm doing is I'm kind of like a tour guide, and I'm taking you through the ancient city, so to speak, and showing you where all the stuff is. And then you can go back on your own to those very same places or time periods or resources, primary sources, and you can spend as much time as you want to plumb to the depths of whatever subject you're interested in learning about. So I'm really excited about this class. Again, I will be launching that here in early February. And if you don't want to wait for this podcast to do it, I am also launching this through Living Hope International Ministries on the YouTube channel that we have there. So uh, that is going to be an accelerated pace. If you prefer video, then that's probably the best place for you to go. If you want to search for that, you can just search for LHIM Video, all one word. LHIM stands for Living Hope International Ministries Video, all one word. That's the handle or whatever, the account that we have through YouTube. And our schedule is to have these classes live on Tuesday nights, uh, starting this upcoming Tuesday. So that's, uh, if you're listening to this Years later, months later. Sorry about all this stuff. Uh, feel free to <laughs> skip to the end, but that would be uh, the seventeenth, which is in, uh, which is next Tuesday. So that's going to be our first session, and uh, it'll be seven to nine, eh, probably seven to eight thirty, Eastern time. And if you are not able to catch that live, uh, these will be then chunked into two sessions and put up on YouTube during the week so that you will be able to watch them on demand whenever it's convenient for you. Or just wait for the podcast uh, episodes to come out. Let me tell you, for you dear podcast people like me, if you wait for the audio version to come out, it's going to be better. I'm just going to say right now, audio is much more forgiving with editing and and it, it will be more concise and if there are blunders that I make which are inevitable in speaking or something goes wrong with the technology, whatever, I will make all those things disappear in the audio version. So if you prefer audio, don't go anywhere else. We'll be putting them out here on Restitudio. That's all I had to say about this class. If you did want to register for it, you can do that at lhim.org promos, and uh, you'll be able to get emails every time a new episode drops for the YouTube videos. That's it for me this week. I'll catch you next week. If you'd like to support this ministry, you can do that at... Restitudio.org. We'll catch you next week, and remember, the truth has nothing to fear.